All right, hey everyone, it's good to see you all again. Um, it's been a little while, I've been taking some time out, been working on some different stuff, I've got some personal stuff going on, both physical and emotional, working through some trauma that's been coming up, and over the last year or so I've been um, dealing with that and realizing, gosh, there's a lot that happened in my childhood, um, different things that just really took their toll, chronic illness as a kid, um, my mom having a major brain hemorrhage was when I was a kid and not being able to see her for months on end and all sorts of different things that I'm only now starting to kind of really be able to unpack and work through and um, really I'm not much help to anyone unless I'm able to kind of process these things and, and work through them and so I've been really trying to dedicate a decent amount of time working through those stuff and I've also had my own physical journey as well. A lot of you know I've had some different illness stuff um, in the last uh, little while on top of Generally speaking, I live with chronic illness as well, with my uh, chronic pain in my my hands, my arms, um, and so just juggling a lot. And that's why you've probably not um, seen me around as much. I've been posting on Instagram, but apart from that, I've been a little bit involved on the Discord channel. We've been doing our our uh, Zoom with the patrons and stuff, but other than that, I've been kind of quiet, and that's why. Um, I thought I'd take a little break from my break and do a little podcast, little recording for you. Um, and this one is going to be all about the things that I wish I knew earlier on in my deconstruction. And as you know, over the last sort of 10 years or so, I've worked with thousands upon thousands of you processing your deconstructions, helping you figure out what's next for you. Um, and I have come across these things again and again and again and again. And they are things that generally speaking would help people process their journey a lot healthier um, if they were aware of them early on in the journey. Now, at the end of the day, we learn things as we go. We learn by making mistakes. We learn based on the, the resources and the tools that we have at our disposal at the time. You know, there's never any um, simple toolkit that you can just give to someone and suddenly everything will be better or something it will be easy. This is not an easy journey. It's not an easy journey regardless of the tools or the resources that you might have. Even if you have a great support system around you, it's still not easy. This is a hard process to go through. Um, losing such stability and, and certainty in your life and starting to unravel all of the stuff that you've grown up with and try and figure out how to make meaning in the world and move forward in life without such clear direction, that's a hard thing to do. And what makes it harder is, you know, when you, uh, maybe you, you were unsaved and you became saved, we use those terms a bit loosely thrown around these days, but um, if you came into Christianity, there was kind of a path, there was a kind of trajectory, there was something you could follow, there was a discipleship program, you could be mentored, you could go to the Bible study, you could, you know, do the Sunday school classes, whatever it is, and you would like follow the path, this is what it is to be a Christian. And there really isn't that if you're deconstructing. There isn't a simple um, path to walk through. Now, there's loads of online courses and different things that people are starting to create nowadays. There's books like here. If you just do what's in this book, you'll be deconstructed just fine. Um, that's great. And some of these resources are fantastic. And some of them work really well for um, certain people. Um, I do have a slight problem with them, if I'm honest, because generally speaking, they're billed as the one stop fits all answer to if you just join our course, if you just buy our book, um, you'll be able to deconstruct healthily and well. And the truth is, that's really not true. Uh, trust me, having worked with thousands of people, it is not true simple as that. It's not true that you can just follow a simple path and that will work for everyone. 
everyone is deconstructing um, a different life, a different experience within their conventional faith that they're coming out of. And so, you know, even if something as simple as if you grew up a Baptist and if you grew up a Methodist, you are going to have a different deconstruction journey. Never mind the type of family you were in. If you're a pastor's kid, if your parents were in leadership, if your parents were just kind of uh, volunteers, maybe your parents weren't Christian and then you got saved as a teenager going along to youth group. These people are going to have very different lives within Christianity. They're going to have very different introductions to different theologies and different ideologies. Different people believe in things to different degrees or fixate on things. I know people that have um, grown up under purity culture and they just didn't really care. They just, it didn't affect them in the same way that other people growing up under purity culture were massively, dramatically impacted by that teaching. And so it really isn't as simple as all people can go through uh, this course or this book or anything like that. And that is not what I'm trying to create here for you either. Um, and so if you're here for that, I'm sorry, you're going to be a bit disappointed. This is not um, a one size fits all thing. Most of the stuff I'm going to share is going to be very loosey goosey. It's going to be very open. It's going to be trying to help you um, navigate some uncertainty, navigate the, uh, the instability of deconstruction. It's not going to be here, have this, now you can feel certain again. That's not going to happen for most people. It might happen for some, and that's fine. Um, but generally speaking, on developmental um, models of growth, uh, as humans grow and develop psychologically, generally speaking, we move away from certainty as we grow up. Um, and so actually that desire to stay in certainty is actually holding you back from growing up. And that's what deconstruction is. Deconstruction is growing up. You're growing up psychologically. That's what's happening to you. It's actually a lot less to do with religion as it is to do with your internal world growing up. The way that you think psychologically has evolved, has grown up, and now you are unable to think the same way. You're unable to just completely accept what authorities tell you, uh, especially if you can't see that the authorities have particularly any good reason to be an authority in that topic um, uh, and things like that. So suddenly these kind of ways of thinking cause you to question religion. Um, a lot of people look at um, deconstruction of faith as the reason people then go on and start uh, changing what they believe about politics, changing what they believe about X, Y, or Z. And it's not actually as simple as that. Um, generally speaking, uh, the deconstruction of religion or the deconstruction of political ideology, the deconstruction of different moral outlooks, all of those are actually a side effect of an inner change that's occurring within us as we grow up and develop. Okay, um, I talk more about that in my video, Understanding Deconstruction, um, Developmental Theory and Deconstruction, and I talk a little bit about how we grow and evolve. I'm going to be doing a short series on ego development uh, in the coming weeks as well. Um, which hopefully will help people kind of navigate um, how they're growing up and, and what that looks like, um, which can be very helpful if you, as your deconstruction uh, uh, continues and evolves um, to know, oh, this is a journey of how people grow up and there is somewhat of a path to that. Um, again, it's not black and white, but people generally grow up linearly, right? So babies become toddlers, become small children, become larger children, become teenagers, become adults. And actually there's very core metrics of development, of brain development, of emotional development, uh, physical development along those different stages. And as we look at how uh, psychologically humans grow up, we can see that it, that it does move in a fairly linear fashion in a lot of ways. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about developmental theory. And that's what 
what's happening to you. You have grown up beyond the stage of psychological development that's called conventional, which means that you value most of all certainty, security, um, you know, stability, being a part of a group that believes and thinks the same and gives you that stable uh, safety. Um, and you've grown beyond that to somewhat have more of an individualistic um, autonomy, um, valuing yourself, wanting to develop yourself, wanting to, to build something for yourself, not just for the group. Um, these things are a natural stage of development and that's what really is going on as we deconstruct. That's happening and it causes a deconstruction of faith. It causes us to rethink how we uh, vote or it causes us to rethink our sexual ethics or things of all kinds of natures. Everything really comes into question as we develop and grow through these different stages. Okay, that's a big ramble as a bit of an introduction, but my point being that there isn't a black and white path, okay? Like I've said to many people, what happens when we deconstruct is entirely up to the person that deconstructs. They may go from being a conventional Christian to a progressive Christian. They may end up going from a conventional Christian to an atheist. They're, they may end up becoming a Buddhist. They may end up going, well, I'm kind of spiritual, but I'm certainly not religious. And I kind of like some of the Jesus stuff, but I'm definitely not Christian. You don't know where anyone will land. I think that's the, the problem with a lot of these different models and books and courses and things is people are trying to give you a model of how to leave one type of faith and find a new type of faith or completely reject any kind of faith or spirituality. Um, but it's not as simple as that. You need to figure out what's going on. You probably are watching this already going, I have no idea where I'm at, but I'm trying to figure it out. And you're already going, am I an atheist? Am I an agnostic? Am I still a Christian? And, and you're trying to fit yourself in a box. And what's happening right now is you don't fit in a box. You're, you're all over the place, right? Because you're starting to question all these individual ideologies. And that's okay. That's good. These are good things to be questioning and exploring. That's the fun of deconstruction. And it's also the terror of deconstruction, right? All these emotions are coming up um, and kind of overwhelming us. And that can feel a lot. It can feel completely overwhelming. It can feel very lonely as we tend to often be doing this on our own. It's, it feels very unsafe to talk to most of our friends and our family who might um, have been very much a part of our group when we were a conventional Christian or within our old faith tradition. But now we're starting to move out of that. It's very scary to be able to talk to them about all these emotions we're feeling because we know that they're not going through this process. And so, you know, it's really hard to uh, unload all these emotions. I don't know if you're uh, an emotional uh, external processor. You, you like to kind of get your emotions out, talk about what's going on in your life, unload that onto people. If that is you, this is going to be especially hard as a season because um, uh, someone that internally processes can do that on their own a lot of the time. That's great, wonderful. Um, and, and if that is you, you should be counting your lucky stars at least in this one category. Um, that's a really good thing. But for many of us, we process externally. We need to just talk our friends' heads off. Um, and if they are a conventional Christian, that conversation is going to go very badly, very quickly, especially if we're just um, externally processing. We aren't even thinking about what we're saying. We're not trying to get it so it's just right for that person, so we don't upset them, so we don't destabilize their whole world and life. Um, and so 
it's very hard for us to be able to process this. It's the key um, importance of trying to find some people you can connect with, you can process with. Um, it's why I set up the deconstruction network to try and help you find other people that are going through this process. They might not believe the same, they might not be in the same place, but they at least know what it's like to be losing that certainty and safety and, and coming away from a similar place. You know, deconstruction is not about finding a shared destination, it's about sharing um, a similar departure point, you know? So we're not all heading in the same direction, generally speaking. Maybe we're all moving towards a greater love and inclusion and acceptance and whatever, you know, might be seen as more holistically beautiful and wonderful and, and kind and loving in this world. We're probably all moving in that direction because that's the way that people grow up and move towards. Um, but generally speaking, we're not all going to become an atheist. We're not all going to become a progressive Christian. We're not all going to become a Hindu. Um, it's going to be messy what that actually looks like for different people. So you're unlikely to be able to find someone on exactly the same path away from that faith group. But you are quite likely to be able to find people that have left that faith group. They know what it's like to leave and to start to figure it out on their own and to process that. And that's the kind of people that can make a big difference. And so if you can find people like that to process with, that's game changing. And so I do encourage people to check out something like the deconstructionnetwork.com. It's a completely free resource that helps you find people in your local area that are going through that process. Um, there's great Facebook groups out there. Um, I know your favorite heretics, they've got a Facebook group. John Steingard set up a Facebook group. Um, and so there's different groups out there. The Dirty Rotten Church Kids have an amazing Patreon. Um, and if you support them, you get access to their Discord channel. There's, it's a server where you can talk and discuss. Um, with people that are similar. Um, I, myself, if you become a Patreon on my account, I have a Discord server where, again, we kind of process our different journeys and chat about all sorts of different things. There's different communities out there. Uh, online can be helpful for sure, um, but certainly there's something about knowing people in person and being able to give them a hug, cry on their shoulder, laugh with them over a pint or a coffee, go for a walk. You know, there's something very, very, um, substantial about having people in your life that can do that for you. If you don't have that yet, it's okay. These things will come. It feels very overwhelming and lonely early on, but these things do come. A, a new world of friendship and community will emerge. I, I promise you that these things do come for the vast majority of people uh, as long as they want that. Um, maybe if you don't want it, it might come for you anyway and get you. Um, but a lot of people push that away and don't want that yet. And that's okay as well. People are processing in different ways and processing different things. If you have a lot of trauma going on and things like that, maybe you don't want to do people right now and that's okay. Um, my point in bringing up all these feelings and this emotion and stuff is it's really normal to feel whatever you feel. I've talked to people that get excited and find this process is quite fun. I've talked to people that are terrified and they're having night terrors every night because they're so scared they're going to go to hell. You know, the range of emotions you can feel. You can feel shame and guilt and regret. You can feel um, joy and excitement. Um, you can feel fear and anxiety. You can feel lonely and isolated. You can feel a longing for the past, wishing you'd never left and wishing you'd never woke up, wishing you'd never taken that red pill like in the Matrix. You know, once you wake up and realize the Matrix is not real, you, you almost go, gosh, I miss living in a world that I didn't know wasn't real. I miss having the steaks. I don't like eating the gloopy porridge in a spaceship, right? Um, maybe got a little deep in the matrix analogy there. Um, but how many of you agree that sometimes the deconstruction can feel like gloopy porridge, right? Um, it, it can feel uh, rough. It can feel really rough. And all the emotions, whatever you're feeling, it's normal. 
okay? Not everyone's gonna feel the exact same mix and, and myriad of emotions that you feel, um, but I guarantee there have been many people that have walked the same path that you have walked and felt the same emotions you feel. You are so not alone in this and you should not, as best you can, there are not shoulds in deconstruction, so you should not try and create shoulds, okay? So as best you can, I know that's a, a, a crazy double standard uh, uh, rule there, shouldn't have shoulds, right? But as best as you can, don't be sitting there going, well, I shouldn't be feeling guilty about um, my time as a Christian and that I taught purity culture as a youth leader. I shouldn't feel longing for wanting to be a part of that community again and, and actually missing that friendship group and missing the certainty of knowing God. I uh, shouldn't feel so excited about deconstruction when I know so many people are finding it so hard. There isn't a should. What you're feeling is healthy, is normal. Um, some of the feelings might be unhealthy to feel for 50 years, okay? So I'm not saying that whatever you feel, you should stay in that place. Absolutely not. You know, if you're sitting there seething with anger, it's probably not healthy for you if you're still seething with anger in 50 years, right? Hopefully you've figured out a way to to allow anger to feed you, to teach you, to change you, and then to allow you to change the world around you and maybe go back into some of those situations and uh, tear down some of that stuff or rebuild some of that stuff or build something completely amazing, completely away from it to kind of like completely just let it crumble and let it be destroyed. Whatever your, your method, whatever your uh, direction, um, sitting in a one uh, way, you know, it's, it's healthy to be fearful and, and terrified if you've been taught that you're going to hell if you don't have the right beliefs. That's a pretty normal, healthy response to feel fearful of that when you do lose a faith in God. But it's not healthy if you're still doing it 20 years from now. Okay, so maybe, you know, you'd want to look at getting um, some therapy with someone that's maybe trauma-informed, that maybe even someone that can do um, religious trauma, um, CPTSD, that kind of thing. So I'm not saying whatever you feel, stay there. Um, by all means, sit with that feeling. Process that feeling. Tell people around you about that feeling. Um, you know, work through that feeling, allow it to transform you, allow it to teach you, allow it to show you the, the, the ups, the downs, the pains, the, the suffering, allow that feeling to be what it is to you and to move you forward. Um, for so many of us growing up in, in the Christian world, we were taught to push our feelings down, to kind of, you know, not acknowledge them, allow uh, some sort of uh, amazing Christian joy or ethos of, of peace to just push that feeling to the side. Don't acknowledge it. Don't sit with it too much, you know. Uh, don't acknowledge your worry or anxiety if to worrying is not of the Lord or anything like that sit with your worry. If you're worried, sit there and go, why am I worried? What's going on there? Why do I feel like that? How can I move forward from that? Journal it, you know, talk about it. If you still believe in a higher power, pray about it. Um, you know, work through it with a therapist, whatever it looks like for you. You might just watch some YouTube videos or podcasts on how to process some of those emotions or how to do uh, some of that, that journeying. I will say with some of this stuff, it can feel like you almost want to race through it. You want to get through. I'm fed up feeling uh, scared and, and fearful that God's going to burn me into a crisp for not believing in him. Um, that's very, very reasonable to not want to feel like that for long. At the same time, um, it can be a lot to really try and race through that emotion. You know, let the emotion, let your body guide you. If you are going too fast, your body's going to let you know. If you're going too fast, you're going to feel that overwhelm and allow that overwhelm to tell you to slow down, to pace yourself. It's okay to take a break and binge Netflix, um, you know, watch some Office or something like that. Um, it's okay 
it's okay to take this at the time in, and at the pace that you need to take it. Okay, so don't rush through these feelings, but at the same time, don't disregard these feelings. They're all okay. I get questions so often, people saying, is it okay to be angry? Is it okay to be uh, terrified? Is it normal? I see all these Instagram accounts saying how hard this is. Is it normal to be finding it quite easy and enjoying it? All of these things are fairly normal across the board. There's some things that are more normal than others, but certainly you are not the first person to feel a certain emotion while deconstructing. It is a whole vast array of emotions. And it's very rare you're gonna feel just one. Uh, if you feel just one emotion right now, wait until the next 10 minutes, you'll probably feel another one, right? It's, it's constantly evolving, growing, changing, all of that. And so allow yourself to go through this process, allow it to be what it needs to be. Um, just looking at some notes I made just to make sure um, you know I, I'm not gonna pass over too much stuff. One of the things that I come across loads is people processing their time in their past faith. Uh, maybe you were a conventional Christian, you had lots of friends, your family were Christians, and suddenly they're all keeping you at a distance. Suddenly they can't really let you in anymore. Suddenly they uh, stop texting, they stop hanging out. Maybe your friends uh, are no longer including you in things, or maybe they're constantly trying to evangelize to you, and so you have to create some boundaries and, and drop some lines. And one of the common things people say is, I guess they never really loved me anyway. I guess I found out who my real friends are. They're not real friends um, and things like that. And, and the truth is that can feel really real. And again, sit with that feeling, allow it to sit there, to teach you, to, to mold you, to change you and, and allow you to grow, absolutely. But I wanna encourage you that as we talk about developmental theory, as we grow and develop, if you think of a small child as it grows and develops, its capacity to love, its capacity to have relationships, to feel certain emotions, that grows and develops. Um, and very much it is the same. It's not that your friends and family never loved you. It's that your concept of love has grown bigger than theirs. And so now what you would consider to be an obvious way to love someone um, is completely incompatible with them. Okay, and so it's a bit like when you say, well, obviously I include LGBTQ and affirm that, and they're suddenly like, well, I don't understand, you can't do that, right? It's just not on their wavelength, it's not an option. Um, in the same way, when you say, well, a good friend would accept me even if I completely disagreed with their faith, what you probably forget is that actually, you probably weren't that friend or family member five years ago, a year ago, three weeks ago maybe, uh, you've grown beyond that stage of belief. You've grown beyond being that person yourself. And so it's very hard for us to realize the past, to think the way that we used to think. I'll give you an analogy from um, some research that we've done on child development. And so one of the experiments they did with uh, small children around the age of two or so is they had a tall glass and a short glass and they filled the, the short glass with water and then they poured the water from the short glass into the tall glass and they let a toddler watch this and they poured it back and forth, okay? And then they said, which glass holds the most water? And the small child around the age of two, every single time will point to the tall glass and say, that holds more water. Even though they've watched the same amount of water go backwards and forwards, they say the tall glass can hold more water. The truth is they hold the same amount. They've seen it go backwards and forwards again and again and again. What's interesting, that's quite normal. It's quite normal for that age of development as evidenced by the fact that 100% of two-year-olds will do that. They, they, they can't conceptualize um, some of these more complex um, concepts yet. 
Once they fast forward to about four or five and they repeat the experiment, what they do is again in front of the child, they'll pour the same amount of water backwards and forwards between this tall and small glass. And they say, which glass holds the most water? And they say, well, it's the same amount of water. You're just pouring it backwards and forwards. So they've developed, they've grown up, they've changed. And now they realize, oh, well, that's different, isn't it? And so what's happened is you have grown up as you understand your friendships, as you understand relationships, you've grown up and said, well, of course I wouldn't let something as simple as a religious ideology stop me being friends with someone. But at an earlier stage, that's not possible. That is a core component to our friendships and families right now, is we can't really let that person in to the same degree. They're going to burn in hell forever. They're going to lead us astray. They're whatever, right? Going to let demons come into our life. Whatever the crazy different um, beliefs are at that stage that seem so rational and logical to us then and seem so rational and logical to our friends and family who are still there, um, that becomes illogical to us today. The most interesting part of that study, however, I've not mentioned yet, the most interesting part of that study is they then show the four and five-year-olds a video of themselves. And they say, who's that? And they're like, it's me. That used to be me. And they're like, yeah, that's you when you were younger. And then they watch their younger selves watch the water go from short to tall glass backwards and forwards, being asked which holds the most. And the young person says, the tall glass. Almost every single child will then say, that's not me they'll reject what they believed earlier that it was them. They reject that it was them because they cannot fathom that a younger person of a younger version of themselves doesn't understand things the way they understand things today. Now that's a very small nuanced uh, study, but it shows something about human development. And that is as we grow up and, and, and expand it in the way we see the world and believe, we recreate the past to, to be the way we currently see things. And so we go, oh yeah, well, I was never like that though. I was never really exclusive in the way I had friendships and family. I would never have turned my back on um, someone in my church if they were gay. I would never have turned my back on a friend if they had come out as deconstructing. No, I would never have done that. But the truth is probably, maybe you're sure, right? That is possible for sure. But the truth is for most of us, we probably would have. I know I, 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 know I did at times. Um, in different ways, reject different friends or family that went too far. They became too heretical. They believed so differently than me. There was times where I was like, I, I'm not going to hang out with that person anymore. That's a normal thing, but it's very hard for me to really think and the way I used to think, to go into that person's footsteps, uh, uh, shoes and go, oh yes, that's what it's like. It's very hard for us to do that. And so this is part of what's going on as we go, well, my friends and family, they never loved me then. The truth is they love you so much. They loved you probably as much as they could at that stage of development. The difference is you've grown up. Your concept of love has grown to be bigger than their capacity for love. And that is hard. That is tough. But it is. It simply just is the way it is. And you're about as likely to force that friend or family member to love you the way that you want to be loved as you are to get that toddler to accept that the past toddler was himself. It's just not very likely. Um, and so um, or actually, that's probably the wrong analogy. You're about as likely as to get the two-year-old toddler to agree that it's got the same amount of water in each. It's just not going to happen. Um, they're not capable of understanding that yet. 
they have to grow up. And so many of our friends and family at some point will grow up, will develop, will evolve. Sometimes our deconstruction will cause that person to have some sort of development and growth of their own. A lot of us, it's through pain and suffering and through relationships falling apart that that can spark some of our deconstruction. And so maybe your deconstruction is a part of that person's journey of, of starting the process of them growing up. That's very possible, but it's not always true. And so don't rely on that and don't require other people love you exactly the same way because you're only setting yourself up for failure. Now, you can set up a boundary that says if you don't love me in a healthy way, we're going to have some boundaries here and you're not going to have the same access to me as someone that is going to be able to love me in a healthy way. That's very healthy. I'm not saying you should just accept if they're hating you, if they're unkind to you, if they're constantly trying to convert you, if they're trying to influence your kids in unhealthy ways, set up boundaries. Like, nope, that's not happening. Here's some boundaries. I am not saying let that person hurt you, abuse you, harm you. What I'm saying is to expect that person to do beyond what they can, you're only setting yourself up for failure and upset. Recognize where they're at and expect them to be there. Uh, you're going to end up with a lot less disappointment, a lot less pain, a lot less heartbreak. The heartbreak's still going to be there. It still hurts for mum to say, well, I just don't understand what you're doing and I don't want to hear what you're coming from and I don't want to hear about that belief you have or this experience you had. I don't want to hear it. That's still hard. That's still painful. But if you went into that conversation going, well, of course, mum isn't going to understand this, um, you're going to have a lot less heartbreak through the process. Um, and it really is the most healthy and loving way to love those in our lives that haven't grown to be at the same place we are as far as our understanding of love and inclusion and acceptance. Um, and so bear that in mind with friends and family. They did really love you. It wasn't that they weren't really your friends. They never really saw you as a family. Bear. Of course they did. But you just grew up beyond where they're at. You know, a lot of people, what we're asking for them in, in their fundamental way of thinking is we're asking them to turn their backs on their communities, on their family, on their friendships, on their um, eternal security in order to be able to accept us. You know, that's how they might see it. You know, it's like um, uh, maybe a trans or a, a gay child um, coming out to their parents and their parents are left in this very real situation of going, I love my child, but through my whole way of seeing the world, through my fundamental framework, this is a sin. Uh, if I accept them, I will go to hell. If I accept them, my community will kick me out. I'll have no friends. My family will reject me. And so they're sitting there in this impossible situation they're in. Um, now, I'm not saying it's the right thing that they reject them. I'm not saying that at all. It's, it's awful. It's terrible. And gosh, I, I long for a day where we, humanity as a whole has grown up to the point where that is no longer a thing, that we can just accept everyone, whoever they are, however they are built and wired and want to be in this world, I, I long for a day where we accept that and, uh, and, and we come to that place. That will be an amazing time. But I'm also a realist. I also am aware that that isn't the case. And so I can look at that person and look at this impossible situation they're in where they go, I love this child more than anything, but I don't want to spend eternity in hell. That's a tough one, right? And I don't want to lose all my friends, all my family, all my community. Oh my gosh, like how do I do this? And what's amazing to me is how many parents do love their kids so much that they actually power through that and end up deconstructing and changing their own beliefs and, and losing their communities. That's a powerful testament to the love of a parent for sure. But we all know that there are plenty of parents that don't. There are plenty of parents that don't have that capacity. Um, and so 
It is life. It's shit. It's really shit, right? I mean, it's hard. I've lost a lot of loved ones through this process. So many people that I loved so much. Some of my closest friends I've ever had, I no longer talk with. I'm no longer in connection with because of this. And it breaks my heart. Um, and so I, I, I feel where you're, you're coming from. Uh, this is not in any way to minimize that experience. But I'm, I'm trying to um, humanize that other person so that you can see this isn't about them not loving you. This is about them going, I don't know how to keep loving them with all this other stuff in place. It's a full-blown existential crisis. It's, I am going to have to die to some degree to still love this child that's deconstructing. How am I going to do that? I will, my, my relationships will cease. My relationship to God will cease. My church relationships will cease. I'll no longer be close to any of my friends. My family will reject me. I'm going to go to hell. Like, that's a lot to ask of someone that's a fundamental Christian that's really passionate about their faith and really believes this. You're asking them to, 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 to die, their whole life to fall apart. It's, it's a big thing. And so that might take time. It might never happen. And that's something we have to come to terms with too it might not happen and we have to figure out how do we want the relationship to proceed in that case maybe it looks like really hard boundaries maybe it looks like they're no longer in our life that's hard really hard like i'm saying i'm not sugarcoating this process uh this is going to be hard deconstruction and it is going to look like some of your relationships will never be relationships moving forward they are going to end that is very much the reality is some of your relationships will not continue um, the beauty is some relationships will. Maybe some will take time. Maybe other people will come out and go, oh, I was secretly deconstructing too. Is that what it's called? Deconstruction? I think I've been doing that, right? You're going to have a whole gambit of this and, and, and different people will have different experiences, but it's going to be hard. Um, but I do want you to be as, as much as possible primed with realism. Of course, people are going to reject you. They're, no one wants to go to hell, are you kidding? Like, how much do we struggle with that coming out of Christianity? The process of trying to unravel the fear of going to hell, the, the unravel the fear of God's punishing us and being rejecting us. And that's some deeply ingrained stuff. And it's not a surprise that a lot of people opt for eternity in heaven um, over still being mates with Phil, right? I mean, that's not too hard a choice. I'd pick eternity in heaven over being my friend, if I'm honest. Um, and so, um, you know, You've got to have some realism here. You've got to have some capacity where you go, well, of course, some people are going to struggle with this and they're not going to be mature enough in their own development to be able to navigate some of these complex issues, to be able to deconstruct, to be able to understand my deconstruction. Um, we have to understand that this is hard on those people too. Um, think about, again, you might struggle to go back in the past and put yourself in your old self's shoes and think the way you used to. You're probably going to go back there and think the way you do now. But in the past, when people um, left the church, when your friends fell away and became an atheist or things like that, you really were worried. You were upset. You would pray for them. You would try and reach out to them and encourage them to come back. You eventually maybe even created some distance and were like, wow, I can't really be friends with them anymore, I guess. Or, you know, you probably had a range of different experiences at different times. And understand that this is really hard for your friends and family. They are processing the person we love is now going to spend eternity in hell. The person in love has been deceived by Satan and filled with demons or whatever they think, right? Um, that's a hard thing to come to terms with, 
right? It's a hard thing for a mother or a father to realize that their daughter is now going to go to hell forever. Um, now, of course, we don't believe we're going to go to hell forever, right? So it's, it's on one sense, that's one area that it might be easier for you to process than for your parents, right? Because you're going, well, I've lost the, the belief in a hell. Um, they're going, I've lost a child who's going to spend eternity in hell. That's a painful process to come to terms with, right? Every time you see them at Sunday lunch, when they still come round, you're thinking, gosh, these are my last moments with this child before they burn forever. Like, no wonder they kind of sneak in a like, hey, you going to any churches, right? I mean, you can understand on some level why they're so desperate uh, to reach you, to so desperate to change you, to bring you back into the fold. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's hard on them. It's really tough. Another thing I come across uh, in the same uh, vein is a lot of people who have so much anger and um, and resentment to their leaders for teaching them lies and for lying to them and and for cheating them and for swindling them. Now, of course, we, we've seen enough headlines to know that there are many leaders in the church that are liars and swindlers and sex abusers and all kinds of different abusers and and absolutely that exists in the church um, in in leadership. No questions. However, there's a lot of people in leadership, and I would say it's the vast majority that aren't. They aren't liars. They aren't swindlers. They're not trying to just steal your money. They do think genuinely that they're changing the world. And they do think that getting people saved is the best way to change the world. They do think that someone, saving someone's soul is more important than saving their physical body. It's more important to get someone saved than it is to feed them their, their, their next meal. Um, something as rudimentary as that. Like, they really feel they're changing the world. They really feel they're doing good. They really feel they're helping people. They really believe in that truth. They really believe in that message. I remember when I first, uh, went back when I was a Christian and I started to explore tithing and I was like, this isn't even in the Bible. This is crazy. Um, I was able to look before that where I had helped at church give messages before the offering and, and taught about tithing and used the Bible verses and said, look, look at this Bible verse. It says, if you don't tithe, you're robbing God and, and um, see how important tithing is. Let me give you some testimonies from my life about when I started tithing, my finances got better. And like, I wasn't lying to anyone. I really believed uh, those messages in the Bible meant that thing. I really meant, thought it meant that I would be robbing God if I didn't give him 10% of my income. I really believed that when I started giving to the church, my income did get better. And so I was like, well, that must be why. Now, it could have been coincidence. It could have also been that the times I started tithing were usually the times I started thinking about my money and budgeting well, right? So of course I had some more money kicking about. Um, but there's so many components there, but I wasn't ever going, oh, I really want to steal all this money from people. Um, I honestly believe that nine out of 10 leaders out there, they just can't see things the way that you see things. So they don't know they're lying. When you go to them with a, the, the history, you can go look at the Bible, look contextually, it's obviously not this, and you're just cheating people and lying to them by teaching us. This is going in one ear and out the other. They're not in a worldview, in a place, in a, a state of psychological development to be able to hear that stuff. It's just going in one ear and out the other. They are in massive cognitive dissonance because they need to believe what they need to believe. And so, of course, they're gonna teach what they believe to be true. They're not lying to people. They're not suppressing the truth to teach a lie. Maybe some, like I said, that, that does happen, I have no doubt. But the vast majority, honestly, are probably completely lost in their own world of 
this is reality. This is true to us. Um, and we were lost in that world at one point. I'm sure we passionately told our other friends how important it was to be pure when we were growing up as a teenager and being taught purity culture. We weren't lying to anyone. We just believed the lie. The, 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 it, it wasn't as much a lie even from the leader that taught us, right? Because they believed the lie. And it probably wasn't even a lie from the seminary that taught the leader because they believed the lie, right? And so at a certain point, when does the lie become someone's truth? And that's what we're seeing is that, yes, this might not be true, but it's not that people are lying. They're just teaching what they think to be true. And so this is a big part for a lot of people in letting go of holding so much resentment over their past life, their past leaders, their past you know, parents, whatever, is realizing they weren't trying to hoodwink you. They weren't trying to screw you over. They weren't trying to steal from you. They weren't trying to abuse you in, in some psychological warfare. They were just doing what they thought was best. And it turned out to be really shitty right? It turned out not to work very well for you. Um, what's weird is it sometimes works really well for other people. And I think that's the hard part for us to navigate is that for some people, it works really well. In fact, for us, it maybe worked really well for a season, right? So for some of our time, it might have actually been really helpful. It might have been really good for us. It's hard to navigate the fact that our lives in the church weren't black and white. They weren't all good or all bad. They were probably a bit of everything, right? And this is a big part of what I'm helping people understand is a big part of moving on from leaving your conventional faith, your, your traditional faith. As you move on from that, a big part of that is integrating that time. So a lot of us look back over that time with regret and shame and guilt. We feel guilty for teaching people the wrong thing. We feel regret for wasting all those years. We feel shame for how could we be so stupid to be duped and all this stuff. And the truth is we have to process that for sure. Sit with that fe those feelings, process it. But actually, as you process it, what you're going to find is you're going to find um, some self-compassion, some grace, right? Nice Christian word for you. You're going to find some grace. You're going to realize, well, of course I believe that stuff. That's where I was. That was my ability. That was my, uh, my capacity to believe things and understand things was there. And it did seem like good truth and, and, and it did help me in some ways. And so actually I'm thankful that some of these teachings did help me move forward in my life. And I'm also just as thankful that they don't anymore. And I can move on to something that's more true, that's more helpful, that's, that's, uh, right for me just now. And you're probably going to find this as you deconstruct. Some of the things you passionately believe today, you're going to move on from. It's going to continue to evolve and grow. And so you're going to feel regret about this season of life. You're going to feel shame about this season of life sometimes. And actually, if you can navigate this process and deal well with your time, reflecting with on your time in the church, in, in your traditional faith, if you can integrate that and practice looking at it and going, where was the good stuff? What am I thankful for? What do I what am I glad and what do I want to keep holding on to? What do I still want to have with me as I move forward? And what was really unhelpful? What was abusive? What was completely wrong? If you can start to look through the gray of that time in your life and not see it as black or white and instead go, no, this was a bit of everything. You know, I posted recently on Instagram and I mentioned that um, it's really helpful for people to look back on their time and go, what was good? What was helpful? And someone posted, a, a friend of mine, Sharon, and she posted and said, well, what have you been through trauma, right? So people that have been through some really traumatic experiences in church, often they um, are constantly reinforcing to themselves, this is right, this is okay, this is good. And actually it's really hard for them to see what's negative. And, and really what she was highlighting is, this is another side of the coin. 
right? So for most of us coming out, we we completely turn our backs on everything. And go, oh, it was just awful. That was the worst season. I'm never going back there. It was so abusive and manipulative and whatever. And we can't see what's good in that place. But for someone that's been really abused and set up in a system of abuse, um, it's a bit like a domestic abuse case where the person keeps going back to the abusive, violent partner, even though they know it's not good for them, they still go back and go, well, maybe they've changed. Maybe it's not so bad. Maybe I'm the one that's wrong. That can be really unhealthy. And I've seen that a lot in people that deconstruct. They don't need so much to focus on what was good in that season because they over romanticize it. They need to go back and go, what was unhealthy? Why am I not going back? What will I never take forward with me? What am I going to learn from and move on from? And so my point isn't to say, let's overly romanticize the church. And it's not to say, let's overly demonize the church. What I'm trying to say is look back on your life and realize that it's full of good and bad experiences and filter them. Look through them all and go, well, there's some bad stuff. What can I learn from that? How can I process that? That might have brought up some feelings. Do I have stuff still need to process? Oh yeah, there's that. Let me process that. Okay, now I can let that go. And then at the same time, I can go, oh yeah, but in that season, I also learned this amazing skill in church. And actually I made this really great friendship that taught me this and helped me grow in this emotion and the capacity to do this thing. Well, that's really great. And actually I want to take that with me and I really cherish that memory. And being able to navigate through those feelings and those emotions and and healthily filter what was wrong and what was right is going to really set you up for moving forward in your deconstruction. In fact, the degree to which you are able to move forwards will always be dictated by the degree to which you've in, you've integrated your past life. And this goes for any type of development. Um, all sorts of different developmental models show this again and again and again, that people start hitting a roadblock and they can't get further if they haven't integrated their past. And so it's really important for us to kind of do that work. In fact, that's what I've kind of been doing recently in the last few months is trying to integrate some of the past. I've really felt uh, I've hit a roadblock. I've felt a lot of overwhelm, anxiety, really hitting some hard uh, barriers and not being able to keep moving forward because there's a whole bunch of stuff in my past that I haven't integrated, that I haven't processed well. Um, And so that's part of what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm leading by example. I also need to do this work. No one is exempt, right? So don't look at me as some sort of a, a hero at this or amazing at this. I am not good at this and I'm figuring it out as well. Um, we're all doing this as we go and, and no one's got it perfectly. Um, and so please don't ever think I'm doing this just right and you should model what I do. I wouldn't want anyone to have the exact same path I have. Um, yeah. And so uh, all of that, right? So try as you're processing your friends, your family, the feelings you have about that, your leaders, the, the church, like try and fully embrace the full range of emotions. It's, it's okay if you miss that time in your life because there were good points in that. And that's good. It's good to know that and acknowledge that and, and embrace that. And it's okay to feel fuming with anger about that time in your life as well because yeah, there were some horrific injustices and there's some terrible stuff that happened and that needs to change. So yes, to the whole spectrum of emotions and feelings about that time in our life. I'll start wrapping up because we've been, God, rambling for a while. Um, I still have a little bit of a fever as well. I got my second jab last week and uh, it was fine, but gosh, I just got hit with this fever. I've been sweating nonstop. I feel a bit achy in my body and I'm feeling it right now. I've got a couple of lights on because it's quite dark here in the UK despite it being summer. And I'm starting to sweat profusely, so I'll start, uh, you know, slowly uh, uh, landing this plane or whatever the right analogy would be. Um, 
As I mentioned in the beginning, this is all development work. This is all part of growing up. Now, lots of the people in the church will tell you you're falling away, you're backsliding, you're moving backwards. And that's because to someone in the church, they have reached the destination. They've finished, they've arrived. There's one destination, one path to that destination, and anyone that isn't at the destination must have fallen backwards on the path, right? If you can only be here and the path goes like that straight to it, well, if you're not there, you must be somewhere back here. You've fallen back, you've backslidden, you've fallen away, and the, the result is we need to get you back to this point. But the truth is that where we were, this, this place of Christianity, um, is somewhere on our own path that's unfolding. And so actually what's happened is we've gone through it and we have moved forward. It's much like a high school. For us, it was a helpful process to learn and to grow up. It's where we needed to be to learn the things we needed to learn. The reason you know this is because you did it, right? And so you can regret it. You can say it was a pain in the butt. It was awful, whatever. But the truth is, you were there. You ch you chose on some level to stay there to some degree. Maybe your parents chose for you, um, but to some degree, you were there. You you went through it. You processed through it. You navigated through it. You learned from it. You moved on, and you got to the end of it and went, oh, "I don't need this anymore. I can move on." And that's much like going through school, right? And a lot of us didn't pick to go to school either, right? We hated it. <laughs> um, but the point is that you go through it and you move forwards. And and what's the problem for? Um, most conventional Christians is they can't see a moving beyond conventional Christianity. They need you to stay here. They want you to live perpetually in 10th grade or whatever. I don't know. And they never want you to go beyond it. Um, and, the, and the truth is that that's not healthy. It's not normal. What you are going through is really healthy. It's really normal. It's called growing up. And the whole point of me saying that this is part of the process that you have grown up, that you, you're, you're in the process of growing up, is to remind you you're going to keep growing up. Where you are right now is not where you'll be five years from now. You're going to keep moving forward. And so be aware that you need to be wary of falling into the same trap today. Now, this is probably the biggest thing that you can take away from everything I've said so far is that you are growing up and part of growing up is becoming less fundamental. And so when we leave our conventional Christian world and we move forward, we can become very fundamental about fundamental Christianity, right? And so you see this all the time with um, a fundamental atheist maybe or a fundamental progressive Christian who's constantly ranting about how evil the church is and how right they are right? Um, the, the atheist that wants to do debates with the fundamental Christian to show that they are fundamentally right. And, and the truth is, that's fine. That's healthy. That's a normal part of growing up. It's quite normal for you to move to a new stage and think, well, that last stage was terrible and it was useless. And now I'm at the right stage. But anyone, you get a 60-year-old looking at a teenager ranting about how 10-year-olds uh, know nothing. And back when I was 10, I didn't know anything. But now I'm, I'm a, I've arrived and I'm an adult and they're 16 or whatever. A 60-year-old is going to roll their eyes and think, oh my gosh, they know nothing. But I remember what it was like thinking I knew everything and that's just a stage and they'll grow out of it. But a 16-year-old doesn't know they're going to grow out of it, right? The 16-year-old really does think, oh, my parents know nothing. Oh, those kids know I am. I have arrived, right? Um, and it can be very true of us as we deconstruct that we turn into the annoying teenager that thinks they know everything. Now, that's healthy. It's part of growing up. It's part of 
continue to address. It's okay to be very fundamental about not being uh, a fundamental Christian. It's okay to be very certain about how right you are that that's wrong and now you know the truth or whatever it might be. That's okay. That's normal. But what I'd caution you to do is be aware of that and kind of catch yourself when you when you do see it. You might not be able to see it at all right now, but if you can see it, go, oh yeah, I'm still growing up. I'm, I'm at a stage right now and that's okay and I love this stage, but I need to give myself permission to grow up. And I need to give my, myself permission um, not to put really hard roots down here and want to stay here. I need to give myself permission to stay open, to stay humble, to, to hold on to the things I know with open hands and go, well, I think these are true, but I'm willing to bet that some of the things I think are true are probably wrong because a lot of the things I thought were true last time we're wrong. Um, and so you need to approach this journey of deconstruction with some humility. Um, if you do so, it will go so much better for you. This is why again and again and again, when so many of you come to me in DMs and things like that, and I love that. I love every time I get to talk to you guys in the DMs over on Instagram. It's such a joy um, to interact with you. I'm sorry, I'm a bit slower than usual these days. I've just had to take a lot of time off to process and emotionally I'm not in the right headspace and not to mention physically, I've had a fever for the last few days and different things, but um, I love chatting with you all. But I know I piss off so many of you so much because you come to me for a fundamental black and white answer. You come to me going, is there a hell? You come to me with a question, is this right? Is this wrong? Uh, or how do you read the Bible this way? And, and what, what is God like? Or these kind of very fundamental black and white dualistic questions. And I refuse to give those answers. I give you lots of options. I give you uh, multiple books or resources to explore. I ask you what you think and allow you to process and explore. And the reason I do that is because I have no desire to root you into more fundamentalism. I'm not going to give you another fundamental leader to follow. I'm not going to be that person. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be a new leader for you. Um, and I'm not going to give you a black and white answer to then just grab hold off and go, this is the new truth. I solely want you to explore and I want to give you room to realize that you probably aren't ever going to know it all. And that's good. That's okay. That's a wonderful place to be. As you grow up, as you develop, as you pursue this path, you're going to realize more and more. And hey, I'm not saying this from having arrived, right? The 60-year-old hasn't arrived. And God, I'm a lot younger than 60, okay? Um, like, I haven't arrived. I'm not saying this from a, oh, well, you'll realize one day when you're as grown up as me. I'm not very grown up, guys. I am still very fundamental a lot of the time. You'll tell from some of my memes. Um, but as you grow up, you're going to realize, oh, I'm being very fundamental. I need to hold this looser. I need to let go of this. Again, like I said at the beginning, a lot of the models of developmental theory point to as you grow up in different areas, your ego, your value system, your morality, these different things, what happens is you let go of certainty. You become less fundamental. Um, you become less dualistic. And so that's my hope for you guys is that you're starting to hold things looser. You're starting to integrate your past. You're starting to extend compassion to yourself, but also to your friends and family and leaders and, and things like that in your past that aren't able to come with you into the present um, or are going to be with you in the present, but are going to have to be in a very different place. 
my hope is that you can come to a place of understanding, wow, they're a completely different person. I, why would I ever expect a toddler to behave like a 10-year-old or a 10-year-old to behave like a 28-year-old? Um, people at different stages, they behave differently. They're capable of different behaviors. And on some level, you have to extend some uh, compassion and grace and empathy towards people that are in a place where they can't extend the same inclusive love towards you as you could to them if they were different. Um, and in some way, just as it's on the, um, the adult to be a little bit more inclusive and come down to a toddler on their level. Now, I know it's a really derogatory analogy. I'm not saying that all people that are conventional Christians are toddlers and everyone that's deconstructed as an adult or anything like that, but I'm giving an analogy here of like, if you have grown up in this area, and again, there's many areas and some people that are conventional Christians are much more grown up than people that are deconstructed in other areas. Um, but if you've grown up further in this area of love and inclusion, then really on some level, it has to sit with you as the adult to come down and meet that child that's still trying to learn to be loving and inclusive. You have to meet them where they're at and work with them where they're at because they're not able to be an adult yet. Um, and that's really hard. Like I said, it's shit. It really is shit when you're dealing with family and you have to be the mom or the dad because your parents are acting like small children and they're throwing a temper tantrum effectively. Um, that's hard. And it's hard for the parents because they're not used to their child being the adult and going, hey, you're throwing a temper tantrum right now. Do you need some time out? <laughs> you know, that's effectively what we're doing when we create boundaries with our parents, with our loved ones, with our siblings, with our friends, um, is we're, we're basically saying, hey, you aren't able to operate on a healthy level right now. So I'm gonna create some boundaries. And when you grow up, when you're ready to have a, an adult conversation, I'm here. Um, that's hard. It's really hard. Uh, you know, all of this is hard. Like I said, if you want to chat about any of this, feel free to DM me. I'm over on Instagram. It's Phil Drysdale. Um, I'm always happy to chat as uh, I always try and get back to you as best I can, as quick as I can. Um, there's always the, the group uh, on Patreon. If you want to support what I'm doing, all of this stuff is for free. The podcast and video resources, um, the research I do, it's all free. Um, and that is because there are some amazing people that become Patreons, support me for five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, 50 bucks a month. You know, there's a whole range of options there. Um, if you can afford to give, that makes a huge difference to me. It helps me pay the bills, helps me um, do the different things I'm doing, the research, the resources and stuff. Um, and ensure that I have time to talk to people and help them on their journeys. Um, and so if you'd like that, and as a bonus, you get access to an amazing community on Discord and, and that's amazing. And so if you need space, there's that. Uh, an amazing free resource for finding people locally in your area. I mentioned at the beginning, the deconstructionnetwork.com. I'd encourage you, check that out. It's really, really great. There's, uh, I think there's almost about 4,000 people in there now. Um, if there's not someone in your local area, well, there is now once you join and the next person that joins in your area goes, oh, there's someone here. And so don't be too disheartened. It's still very early in its development and it's growing by dozens of people every day. Um, and so um, if, you're, if you're in a big city, you might find loads. And I hear all the time people going, well, I'm in Missouri, there'll be no one there. Or I'm in whatever, there'll be no one there. Do you know what's funny is, some of the most rural places are some of the most populated. It's really bizarre. In fact, the American South is the most populated area on the globe. And everyone that I speak to in the South is like, well, there'll be no one deconstructing here. And I'm like, you have no idea. It's probably the the global central hotspot right now for people deconstructing. So especially if you're in the South and listen to this thinking, I am so alone, get on the deconstruction network. I guarantee there are plenty of people around. Um, hell, it's worth 
a 50 mile drive even if not you know there will be someone nearby ish um, and uh, I can't describe how much of a difference doing this with other people makes and so get on deconstruction network see if there's someone local if not maybe consider you know my community through my patreon or dirty rotten church kids community or maybe some of the facebook groups online community can be a great substitute it's not the same but it's great we do regular zoom calls and audio chats and stuff like that on our group and and certainly if you've got no one to talk to at all dm me i'm always happy to chat it's been really great catching up with you all. Hope you're doing well. I'm sorry that I'm a little bit less consistent with the podcasts and the resources right now. Um, do keep checking in with me on Instagram. I'm posting there every day throughout the week. Um, and I actually have some really exciting news. We're, we're getting really close to uh, launching our second study on the Deconstruction Network. We do research into deconstruction and we're about to launch a new study. It's really exciting. Um, and so keep an eye out for that. If you haven't done any of the research so far, you can do research um, over at the deconstructionnetwork.com slash research. You can do our first study, which is mandatory for taking part in the second study. We're, we're doing a long-term study. So all these studies are gonna kind of stack in a way. There'll be individual studies, but as they go, they'll be growing a larger, uh, more broad picture of who are people that deconstruct. Hopefully we can start changing the narrative around people that deconstruct because I don't know about you, but the narrative around people that deconstruct is ridiculous. People describing who deconstruction Christians are that have never deconstructed themselves, never been taught to a person that's deconstructed a lot of the time. Um, I know I read all these kind of newspaper articles when someone big deconstructs, you know, someone like John Steingart or Josh Harris deconstruct and then they turn to someone like John Piper or something and go, what? what's a deconstructing Christian anyway? And they're like, oh, well, they're just a Christian that they never were a Christian in the first place. Or, and you're like, oh my gosh, this person knows nothing. Um, and so what we're doing with our research is we're hopefully helping create some clear data, some hard evidence of who are people that deconstruct. And we've created some amazing evidence already. We've got data like things like it's people that are generally speaking more involved in their churches that are likely to deconstruct. It's people that read the Bible more often are people that are more likely to start unraveling their faith and all sorts of interesting things. People that deconstruct still often go to church, which often is a trope. Well, people that deconstruct just wanted to leave their church. Actually, most people wanted to stay in their church as they started to deconstruct. Um, most of them get kicked out more than uh, they want to leave. Um, anyway, enough rambling from me. Thanks for checking in. Um, I hope this was helpful for you. I really hope it's a helpful resource for a lot of you. It certainly is a topic near to my heart. I know so many of you have asked me about some of these points. And so hopefully this is a great resource I can send to people. Hopefully it's a great resource you can send to people or even check in with again um, when you're going through particular hard times in some of these areas, just a reminder of some of these key issues. I love every one of you. I really hope you're doing well. I hope your deconstruction is going okay. And if it's not, that's okay as well. It's, it's hard. It's supposed to be hard. Um, if it's easy, that's okay as well. Um, but you are an anomaly. You should count your uh, lucky uh, stars on that one, I think, if, if you're finding it especially easy. Um, yeah, this is, this is hard. You're doing great. You're going to be okay. Um, I'm so proud of every one of you. This is not an easy thing to navigate and, it, and some of the choices it forces your hand into are some of the hardest choices people have to make. They really are. And so you are doing amazing um, navigating this and I'm so proud of every one of you. All right, I love you all. I'll see you in the next video or podcast. Peace. If you are deconstructing, there is no reason to do this alone. It can be an incredibly lonely process, but the deconstructionnetwork.com is a free resource to help you find others deconstructing in your local area. If you would like to support what I do, everything I do is for free from talking to people for hours on ends to producing resources and podcasts. 
Um, it is only possible because people give uh, generously. There is never any need to give. Um, it will always be free, everything I do. But if you do, we do have an amazing private community group that we talk on over on Discord um, that you would gain access to. And we do regular audio and video chats on there as well. So it'd be great to see you in there. But of course, never any requirement. And of course, please, please, please come and talk to me on Instagram. I love connecting with people. I love helping people on their journey. If you need a safe space to process your deconstruction, I would love to connect. It's just at Phil Drysdale. Love every one of you. Peace.